trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. You know, programs like this one exist because it's essential that we think clearly and independently during times of crisis. And I'm not saying that there's a crisis, but I am going to say if there isn't, it's missing a really great opportunity. And we should be known uh, more for who we are and what we stand for than simply what we're against. So I invite you to come and find courage and camaraderie among your fellow wrong thinkers to claim your heritage as a free individual and then to step forward and make the difference that you were born to make. My program is brought to you by great sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, HSLAmmo.com, SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com, GovernYourIncome.com, and also SolarPatriots.com. Now, all the links to these are found in the show notes at my website, TheBrianHydeShow.com. Let's, uh, let's dive right in. So uh, Thanksgiving season has come. And, and gone, so I hope you had a good uh, Thanksgiving holiday. And I want you to know this year, well, there's two things. First of all, I tried and failed to strictly regulate my food consumption for Thanksgiving Day. I just, I knew there was going to be a ton of great food. My son did a brisket. My father-in-law did a pork loin. I smoked a turkey. And, of course, uh, there were so many other contributors. My wife is a wonderful baker, and uh, she made uh, sourdough rolls that were just to die for. I'm sorry. If I'm making you hungry, I, I apologize. But my point is I knew there was going to be a lot of great food. And I thought, I'm going to pace myself here. I'm going to make sure just a little taste of everything. That's all I need, just just a taste. So I don't end up, you know, feeling <clears throat> overextended or just like I, like I ate myself into a stupor. But by gosh, I did it. I ate myself into a stupor, just <laughs> big as life. And there I sat, uh, you know, on Thanksgiving afternoon going, oh, I'm so miserable. Wait, is that pecan pie? Oh, man, <laughs> let's add to the misery. So I failed on that uh, regard. However, there was another thing that uh, that I had in mind as Thanksgiving Day uh, came and went. And uh, that was given all of the things that I've seen happen in the last two years or so. I thought, I am going to give some very serious thought to what it means to be grateful. And by that, I mean, I, I, I paid attention to the people and things in my life that matter. And very consciously, you know, sent my gratitude back to God for, um, for those things being a part of my life. And that was a good exercise. That actually was really, really great. I don't know if it's the fact that I moved earlier this year, but I'm so much less attached to my stuff, probably because about the time we were in the middle of our move, um, that's when I really started to recognize this stuff owns me. I mean, it's like it's like a weight. It's it's like an anchor that's dragging me down because uh, it, you have to deal with it. If you've moved, you understand what I'm talking about. It's like, wow, we accumulated stuff for... I don't remember how many years we were in, in uh, you know, one place, but oh my goodness, you just, 
you get so much stuff, it becomes absolutely overwhelming. So I'm less enamored with stuff, but absolutely dialed in on the people and the qualities of life that, uh, that really need to be appreciated. And I think the people have to come first. First and foremost, I was, uh, I was very happy to, um, to get to connect personally and to meet my uh, biological dad in, in person this year. And I never even, I never suspected that if the day came that I would, uh, you know, find out who my biological parents were. I don't know why, but uh, I always discounted the idea that I would ever meet my bio dad just because it was, I don't know why. It was always, no, 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 you're going to meet your birth mother and you have this uh, tearful reunion and tell her thank you for the great sacrifice that she made. Which, by the way, um, had that reunion and and delivered that message and it was every bit as edifying as, as I hoped it could be. Um, a huge blessing. But I had not realized that uh, my biological father would actually play a role in helping me connect with my biological mother. So when I got a chance to meet with him and spend a little bit of time with him, um, I was uh, I was blown away at how important that relationship has become to me. And even though you know we're we're miles and miles away, um, you know on paper. There are a lot of areas where he and I really don't line up, you know, in terms of worldview, or religion, politics, and so forth. We just don't line up. But that none of that matters. And that is the long point I'm finally getting to here is um, the people that matter most in your life, typically they're going to matter not because, well, we agree, you know, Trump was a great president and, you know, this. Uh, and that's fine if you both believe that way. If you both, you know, think that that's, that's great. But that's not the basis on which we should be, you know, Facing our relationships or or vetting those with whom we'll hang out. You know, another divide. Well, you know, she's a great person, but she just won't get the vaccine. And, you know, we've, we've really had to turn our backs on her, you know, kind of figuratively and sometimes literally throw them out in the cold because they won't tow this line. So there's a lot of artificial division. And I'm just going to suggest that maybe that's not such a great thing. Maybe that's not the best way to go about determining who's going to be in your life and who isn't. And I only say that because the people I I meet who are most dogmatic about those kinds of things invariably seem to be the most miserable people that I've ever met. And that doesn't mean, therefore, I have a duty to step up and change them and tell them the error of their ways. See, I'm a little more concerned about figuring out the error of my ways and then taking whatever steps necessary to, you know, address those things. So here's here's the bottom line. I found a lot to be grateful for. In fact, you, if you are listening to this show, um, are among those things for which I am most grateful. I never take it for granted that uh, there's going to be a listening audience. I, I, I pride myself on having, let's see, I think I'm up to seven listeners now. And I love each and every one of those seven listeners but uh, I never take for granted that there's going to be someone listening and people are hanging on every word because I just don't know. What I do know is there is a great need today for people who are willing to speak the truth and to even speak unpopular truths. And we're going to get into that a little bit in today's show. I will talk about uh, the idea that we need to fight information disorder. And that means uh, there needs to be some kind of a commission that decides what is misinformation, what is acceptable information, and how do we punish those who stray from it. 
That doesn't sound like a very uh, very good place to go, but uh, it looks like that's where we seem to be headed. Oh, and didn't you notice just in time for, you know, the holiday season and, you know, to breathe a little more relevancy into, well, what does Dr. Fauci say? Um, now the, the news headlines, the memo has gone out. Oh, it looks like the narrative managers are telling us there's a new South African variant of COVID that is very dangerous, very disturbing. And yeah. I don't I don't want to just sound like the kid sticking his fingers in his ears and chanting so I don't have to listen, but this seems kind of predictable to me. Or at least it seems that someone is trying to to remind us how much we need them to tell us what to do. Now remember, you can have everybody take a test while they stand in the garage and then after everybody passes the test and assuming everybody's fully vaccinated, then you should be able to go in and enjoy the holidays with one another and you know not have to mask up or something. Well, I'm really sorry, but uh, you know, the, I noticed the president yesterday said, "Well, we're getting closer to to normal again, folks." And you know, that's one of the great things about the holidays; we can celebrate them a little closer to normal. Uh, yeah, about that. My family and I decided uh, over a year ago that it was time for us to go back to normal, and so we did. We had a pre-Thanksgiving with my my mom, and which was a great thing. Because uh, last year, you know, she had spent the, ve- the better part of the year completely alone, isolated, slowly losing her mind, you know, like, like people do when they're completely shut off from their loved ones. That just was intolerable. And I know the concerns were a lot greater last year. Oh, we don't know what's going to happen. The, the vaccine wasn't widely distributed at that time. What do we do? What do we do? Well, we showed up on her doorstep for Christmas last year. We uh, we threw her a birthday party when when her birthday came around. We, you know, we tried to to mitigate exposure as much as possible, but it wasn't going to stop us from living our lives. And I'm going to suggest that uh, that's that's a decision everybody has to make for themselves. But I'm glad we made that decision. And frankly, our lives have been a lot better as a result. Now, we don't always see eye to eye. My mom and I, for instance, don't see eye to eye on, you know, certain things pertaining to COVID and masks and vaccines and so forth. Given that she gets most of her information, particularly uh, her understanding of what's going on in the world, directly from, you know, TV news, what she reads in the newspaper, she's been fed a pretty steady diet of fear. So she may not have access to some of the information that uh, you and I have access to. But it's not a reason to cut off those relationships. So when we come back, we're going to talk gratitude. And I mean real gratitude. Stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Happy to start out here with uh, an essay from Barry Brownstein. I swear he knocks it out of the park every single time that I see a new essay hit my inbox. I'm like, oh, great. This is this is going to be good. I, I set aside a little time. I put on my slippers. I make myself comfortable. And then I sit down and I enjoy, almost like it's a fine meal. And uh, this, this really was a fine meal of uh, food for thought. Barry Brownstein's latest uh, latest. Uh, essay is transforming our ingratitude into gratitude. And more broadly, he's teaching here how individuals cooperate 
and bring forth the miracles of the modern economy. I thought this was super timely. He starts with a quote from Thomas Sowell. Some Americans will never appreciate America until after they've helped destroy it and have then begun to suffer the consequences. He then goes on to quote psychology professor Robert Emmons in his book, Thanks, How Practicing Gratitude Can Make You Happier. Emmons says, ingratitude leads inevitably to a confining, restricting, and shrinking sense of self. Emotions such as anger, resentment, envy, and bitterness tend to undermine social relations. And Barry Brownstein asks, is the epidemic anger we observe, even before COVID, linked to ingratitude? Okay, fair question. He says, ungrateful thinking may seem justified given what a thinker sees as reality. Without a historical context and literacy in economics, a person can be caught up in an ill-informed thought storm, yet be sure they understand the world clearly and objectively. In their book, The Knowledge Illusion, cognitive scientists Stephen Sloman and Philip Fernbach observed that in general, we don't appreciate how little we know. The tiniest bit of knowledge makes us feel like experts. Once we feel like an expert, we start talking like an expert. Now, if your progressive colleague or neighbor irritates you with a talk track from NPR or the New York Times or CNN, learn from them. Don't be compelled to adopt their views, but notice canned opinions of any kind are rarely persuasive. Just reciting sound bites is just not effective. So Brownstein says to ground your thinking more firmly in economics, reading Hayek will help. Or admittedly, at least initially, Hayek can be difficult to read. But by persevering to understand Hayek's meaning, you demonstrate your commitment to being a champion of liberty. Ingratitude you harbor in your thinking may be replaced with gratitude as you learn lessons from Hayek. So here are a couple of those lessons. Gratitude lesson number one, allow different strokes for different folks to power your world. The use of knowledge in society is arguably the most important journal journal article, rather, written by a social scientist in the 20th century. And Hayek's insight was deceptively simple. He said the economic problem is a problem of the utilization of knowledge, which is not given to anyone in its totality. Put another way, knowledge is dispersed. The knowledge of the circumstances of which we must make use never exists in concentrated or integrated forms, but solely as the dispersed bits of incomplete and frequently contradictory knowledge which all the separate individuals possess. So government planners who turn a blind eye to Hayek's insight, it's not just fervent planners who resist Hayek's insight. Anyone who wants to rely on experts to make the world a better place will struggle with Hayek's ideas, even while contentiously debating which experts to follow. Some are sure if only everyone did what they or their favorite experts thought was correct, well, then the world would be a better place. Hayek shows us that the life we take for granted would not be possible if everyone followed the dictates of experts. Hayek writes in The Market Order or Cadillacy contained in Law, Legislation, and Liberty, Volume 2, that most of the knowledge on which we rely in pursuit of our ends is the unintended byproduct of others exploring the world in different directions from those we pursue ourselves. In truth, it's good that others are impelled by different aims. Knowledge is generated as different people pursue different purposes, and the knowledge we make use of would never have become available to us if only those ends were pursued which we, dis- 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 which we regarded, regarded rather as desirable. 
As Sly and the Family Stone sang in their song, Everyday People, sometimes I write and I can be wrong. Different strokes for different folks. So taking the absurd position that anyone knows how others should use their energy makes the advancement of society impossible. When planners force others to operate along a narrow set of ends, the rate of discovery grinds down. In Hayek's words, the forces for intellectual progress would be much confined. So Barry Brownstein points out here, the modern world is built on specialization and interdependence. Each person does what he does best and relies on the efforts of others. Now, most of us would perish without the efforts of others. Psychologist David Reynolds has written extensively on gratitude. In a handbook for constructive living, he observes, quote, I am wearing clothes others made for me, eating food others grew and prepared for me, using tools others designed and fabricated and taught me how to use, speaking words others defined and explained. The list goes on and on. Any verb I can think. Any verb I can think of, rather, sleep, play tennis, drive, lecture, watch, bathe, can be followed by a phrase attributing the action to some supporting role by others. There's nothing I do that is thanks to my own efforts alone. That's pretty powerful. Here's gratitude lesson number two. You can't control what you can never understand. Now, Barry Brownstein writes, Human beings seek order in their lives. Yet a sense of chaos creeps in as the societal and organizational problems we face grow ever more complex. Does this complexity require us to exert more control or less? Well, Hayek's answer to this question may seem initially counterintuitive. Hayek observes that when we see order, the first answer to which our anthropomorphic, uh, anthropo, let's try this again, anthropomorphic habits of thought almost inevitably lead us to is that it must be due to the design of some thinking mind. In Cosmos and Taxis, contained in Law and Legislation, Law, Legislation and Liberty, Volume 1, Hayek brings to light two types of order. A cosmos is a grown order, self-generating or endogenous order, described as <clears throat> a spontaneous order and has no specific purpose. A taxis is a made exogenous, constructed, artificial order, and usually has a stated purpose. So, he says it's helpful to understand, Hayek's not saying that taxis is a bad thing. After all, an organization is a taxis. It is an order constructed for a specific purpose. But since some believe order cannot be spontaneous and must come from control, conceiving of spontaneous order is difficult for them. Yet opening our eyes to the concept of cosmos leads to startling changes in how we view markets and even business management. We begin to understand a seemingly paradoxical conclusion. The more control we exert, the less order we experience. D. Hawk, legendary founder of Visa and its longtime CEO, tells us that simple rules lead to complex orders, while complex rules lead to simple orders. Hawk writes, simple, clear purpose and principles give rise to complex, intelligent behavior. Complex rules and regulations give rise to simple, stupid behavior. Of course, there's no one-size-fits-all rule here. Individuals and organizations must undertake a process of discovery to change old habits of mind. So to understand the limits of control-oriented habits of thought, Barry Brownstein suggests, let's look at some of the characteristics of spontaneous orders. Now, Hayek wrote, the degree of complexity of spontaneous order isn't limited to what the human mind can master. 
Its existence need not manifest itself to our senses, but may be based on purely abstract relations which we can only mentally reconstruct. And not having been made, it cannot legitimately be said to have a particular purpose, although our awareness of its existence may be extremely important for a successful pursuit of a great variety of different purposes. Now, Barry Brownstein clarifies here, it's the first characteristic of spontaneous order that gives us the most trouble. In other words, our mind cannot master the complexity of spontaneous order. We're going to come back to his commentary in just a couple of minutes. We've got to take a very quick break. We'll be back just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Quick shout out here to lifesavingfood.com. This is one of my premier sponsors, and they are offering something very special for my listeners alone. And that is a 25% discount at checkout if you use the coupon code HYDE. That's right, just my last name. Put in Hyde at your checkout and you'll save 25%. That's a that's a nice steep discount. Better than you would get if you went to ReadyWise Foods themselves. But uh, take a look at their website. There's a link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. And if you see something that you need or if you see something that would actually make a great you know, gift for gift-giving season, then... Maybe consider grabbing some today. Score yourself that nice 25% discount and then enjoy the peace of mind that comes from being prepared. And if you can, give that gift of peace of mind to the people you care most about in your life. So I've been sharing this article here from Barry Brownstein about uh, transforming our ingratitude into gratitude. And a lot of this comes from understanding that we, we have a lot to be thankful for, but among the things that we have to be thankful for is the idea that not everybody needs to see everything exactly the same way. It's really important that we don't try so hard to control everything and everybody because we, we actually damn ourselves. We, we stifle ourselves in the process. Brownstein points out, many people have trouble understanding the spontaneous nature of markets, for instance. Hayek pointed out that critics pour uncomprehending ridicule on Adam Smith's expression of the invisible hand, which, by which in the language of his time, he described how man is led to promote an end which was no part of his intentions. And Hayek explains how spontaneous orders use dispersed knowledge without this knowledge ever being concentrated in a single mind or being subject to those processes of deliberate coordination and adaptation which a mind performs. So here's the suggestion, and this is really sound advice. When the urge to control arises, we can stand down. The world doesn't depend on our limited understanding. And although it's beyond the scope of this essay, he says we can apply Hayek to our daily lives. We all have an inner central planner. Understanding Hayek can help us downsize the destructive part of our ego. The more you try to control your life, the more your mental capacity is occupied with trying to do the impossible. The more you lower the quality of your life. And there's not one person who can even control his own thinking. Uninvited thoughts stream through our minds constantly. 
So it's laughable to believe that anyone should control markets. In his classic book on architecture, The Timeless Way of Building, Christopher Alexander writes, When a place is lifeless or unreal, there's almost always a mastermind behind it. It is so filled with the will of its maker that there's no room for its own nature. Alexander offers this advice to those architects who have trouble giving up control and taking out their ego or taking their ego out of a building design. His advice is, you are able to do this only when you no longer fear that nothing will happen. Now, although Alexander's work is meant to help architects design buildings having the quality without a name, his ideas have universal applicability. The quality without a name, Alexander tells us, cannot be made but only generated indirectly by the ordinary actions of people, just as a flower cannot be made but only generated from the seed. Continuing his gardening metaphor, Alexander instructs, if you want to make a living flower, you don't build it physically with tweezers cell by cell. You grow it from the seed. No process of construction can ever create this kind of complexity directly. So applied to human affairs, no amount of effort can replace the generative potential of simply giving up control and being open to the creative powers unleashed in human beings. Those posing as masterminds can never embrace Alexander or Hayek. In architecture, they produce lifeless buildings. When masterminds attempt to control the economy, they squelch the activity of ordinary people and human flourishing. Which brings us to gratitude lesson number three, and that is appreciate grace. Now, we receive grace when we receive unmerited favor. Reynolds points out it takes energy and struggle to ignore how much we receive and how little we return to the world. But we grow used to the investment in deceit as we grow older. Ignoring and lying helps us feel better about ourselves. Reynolds writes, Gratitude is a natural response to taking a realistic look at the world, including our place in it. We aren't realistic enough to gain the benefits of gratitude often. Hayek leads us to take a realistic look at the modern economy we otherwise take for granted. We take our place in it when we use our talents and interests for our own aims, which naturally help serve others. We build on the efforts of those who innovated before us, and our purpose is supported because other minds are free to pursue their purposes without interference from masterminds. Now, clearly, without the efforts of others, past and present, we would perish. Feeling grateful is a function of our state of mind. Mutual interdependence is a fundamental truth of life. Understanding Hayek transforms our thinking into a rich appreciation of how individuals cooperate and bring forth the miracles of the modern economy. With the opening of eyes long closed, our ingratitude becomes gratitude. Now, I know this is asking a lot, right? You probably had plans. You were going to watch some football, maybe do some, you know, heavy-duty shopping over the weekend, right? Maybe it's time to uh, pick up something from Hayek and read it. I would start with The Road to Serfdom and expand from there. But if you would consistently expose your brain to the writings of F.A. Hayek and, and others... I think you would find that uh, it, it helps order your thinking. It hel- not because they're telling you this is what you have to think, but simply because you realize there are broader ways to analyze the information around you and 
You're not dependent on some expert. You know, you're not waiting for somebody in a suit or a lab coat to come step up to a microphone and tell you, hey, here's what it all means. And the idea, too, about, you know, the people who, who want to be masterminds, the ones that want to control everything. Somebody asked the question once upon a time, why, why is it in, in really socialist countries? In fact, we'll just call it, you know, in, in unfree countries. Why are the buildings so butt ugly? And it's because of that mastermind mentality. Somebody up the food chain, someone in the party is determining this is how many buildings are going to be built. This is what they're going to look like. And the builders go out and build them. And really, you know, they're they're getting paid the same, whether it looks good or whether it looks like crap. So they just they just do it halfway. I mean, I've heard some amazing horror stories from people who live particularly in the, in the former Soviet Union about, you know, well, it was an interesting apartment building we stayed in. You know, you could get to the seventh floor, but only by taking an elevator to the third floor and then jumping to another elevator, which would go to the seventh floor. It's just, just bizarreness. The water that came out of their water pipes was nasty and smelly and just, you know... But it, it reflects there was a point where the people who were creating those buildings or maybe the people who were maintaining them had no incentive to do anything different, to do anything beautiful or innovative. That's the danger of that mastermind mentality. And it's, it's not the same thing as, you know, I know some people are probably feeling that, oh, you're, you're describing anarchy. <laughs> well, it's every man for himself. It's the law of the jungle. I don't think that's what it is at all. I just think it's the recognition that when you put many minds working on a problem over time and from as many different directions as possible, I think you actually have a pretty good shot of finding a solution. I guess that's something to keep in mind when you look at some of the, the problems that, to, that we tend to struggle with, regardless of the age in which we live. You know, these are the things that humanity has typically struggled with. You know, that desire to influence or to inflict dominion upon other people. That's a real thing. That's a part of human nature. And yet there are some problems that billions of minds have been working on for thousands of years. And somehow we're supposed to believe at least according to the new masterminds, the new central controllers, so this is what you may think, this is what you may say, this is how you should feel. Everything that came before us was wrong. Everything that came before us was racist, and it was stupid, and it was superstitious. Look, the people that came before us, they, they had their blind spots. We have ours. Though we're not likely to admit them. I mean, we're, we're pretty proud, right? Nobody knows as much as we do. Nobody sees as clearly as we see. But if seeing things clearly really is your goal, I would suggest get to studying and learning and, and reaching for things that are above your head intellectually. The idea here isn't to become the ultimate Jeopardy player and it's not to become the smartest person in whatever room you walk into. It's about becoming a better human being by exposing yourselves to the greatest ideas that other minds have worked on, keeping what works, rejecting what doesn't work for you, but learning how to ask the right questions to get the answers that you need. It's a process that I had to go through in order to really appreciate, and I still go through it because I'm a work in progress. 
Read those old books. Make yourself read stuff that's above your head. You'll be better for it, and so will the people around you. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to give a quick shout out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. Very proud to have them as sponsors of the program. And um, some really great news. If you are looking for a home loan anywhere within the state of Utah. See, uh, Heather's office is located in St. George, Utah at 619 South Bluff Street. But that doesn't mean that she can't help you if you are looking to secure a VA loan or a traditional loan or a reverse mortgage anywhere in the state of Utah. Why would you want to choose the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage? Plain and simple. Heather has decades of experience in the lending industry. She really understands the ins and outs of what the lenders and borrowers need. But she also has the clout to help you get the loan you need without delay. And in a super competitive real estate market, that's going to make a difference. You can contact her at 435-703-4522. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. And there's actually an email link in my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Well, I want to springboard just uh, one more essay here on the idea of gratitude. And this may be beating a dead horse. Maybe you're all gratituded out, but I don't know how to describe it. I don't, I don't want this to sound like, oh boy, he's, he's getting apocalyptic on us, but as I was looking around and just admiring, in spite of all the difficulties, how much abundance we have access to at this point in time. I was struck by the thought that, uh, would you still feel as grateful if this time next year, your choices were far more limited? And I'm not suggesting, you know, the world's going to go off the rails then between now and then. I just know it because I had this hunch. It was just a question that popped into my brain. But as, as tough as things have been, and despite the hardships that I know a lot of people, myself included, have had to deal with over the last couple of years, I still wonder if we fail to appreciate just how good we have it. And for that matter, how important is that sense of gratitude? Got a great article here from Daisy Luther. She is the organic prepper. And it's titled, uh, Gratitude, No Matter How Humble, We Have More Than We Know. Maybe I just needed to hear this, but I want to share this with you because this one really spoke to my heart. Daisy Luther says, I plan to take a well-earned day off for Thanksgiving. But she says, I woke up early thinking about how gratitude has changed over the years. The historic first Thanksgiving, you know, the one that school children across the country have reenacted on gymnasium stages for decades, if not centuries, where people grateful just to have enough food to eat so they wouldn't die of starvation over the winter. Now, she says, the past two years have been some of the most overall difficult in my lifetime. I say overall difficult because, like many others, I've had time periods where, that were far worse personally than this. Like the two-year span, she says, when I lost my dad, my job, my house, my car, and then my children's father. That really sucked indescribably. But as far as overall mental health crises, 
grief, financial problems, stress, dystopian laws, rage, crime, and a change to our way of life. She says, these last two years, take the American cake for my lifetime. And so she asks, what the hell are we so thankful about today? Well, she says, I'm glad you asked. Just as our long-ago Puritan ancestors were grateful for some corn and pumpkin and their new neighbors who showed them the fruits of this land, before all-out slaughter occurred, but that's outside the scope of this article, we too have small, humble blessings which we must not overlook. She says, perhaps you're having chicken instead of turkey this year, or visiting a soup kitchen for your meal, cobbling together a feast based on what you have on hand, or just having a burger. It could be that you're all alone and missing your family and a video call is cold comfort when you just want a hug from the people you love. You may have downgraded your living accommodations due to our economic crisis. Or you could be packing up to do just that. Or hosting your last Thanksgiving in a home where you raised your children and lived the story of your life. Well, she says, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that some people have it worse. You already know that and it surely does not make your situation any better. Life isn't a game of, well, at least things aren't as bad as they are for Hildebrand next door. And she says, if that is your life, well, then you need to reprioritize ASAP. Daisy Luther says, your life and your financial situation may have been better in the past, but you're still alive to fight another day. And what greater gift could there be than that? The simplest things, it turns out, are the most important. So she says, instead, think about the things you have to be grateful for without comparison, because I assure you, your low point would be a high point for others. You have a roof over your head. You have food on your table. You're not in immediate life-threatening danger. You have someone, anyone to love. She says, the simplest things are the most important. Just look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The base of that pyramid is made up of the things most essential to life. And if you haven't seen it, she actually has a nice representation of Maslow's motivation model. The pyramid, the pyramid with transcendence at the top and self-actualization, aesthetic needs, cognitive needs, esteem needs, belonging and love needs, safety needs, physiological needs. It sounds like nothing, but she says, yet it's everything. <clears throat> Daisy Luther says, trust me, if you've lived without having those needs met, without knowing where your next meal is coming from or where you'll stay that night or if someone's going to come home and beat the crap out of you, you will agree that these pieces of security that so many take for granted mean the world. And she says, if you have those needs met, then you have something for which to be grateful. And while it may not be fancy and it may not be what it once was, you have the basics of survival and you have this day to be thankful for it. If you have the internet or a phone to reach those who can't be with you, You are still blessed with their presence in some way. So instead of thinking about what you don't have, think about what you do have. And remember that not everyone has those needs met. She says, think about all the times throughout history when things were not a given as they are now. Think about people living on the streets, those who survived the shelling and mayhem mayhem of the Balkan War. Those who were victims of trafficking, those who live in fear of not finding their next meal or surviving until the next day. She says, for just one day, just this one, I encourage you to focus on the meaning of the day. Now she's talking, this was published on Thanksgiving. 
She says tomorrow you can pick up where you left off complaining and worrying, but you might instead consider adding gratitude as a practice to your daily life. But she says for today, let's put aside politics, social tribes, talk about viruses and vaccines and all the things that divide us. Let's ignore someone's purple hair or new tattoo or better yet, find a way to compliment it. Let's enjoy people for who they are, not who you wish they were. Let's focus on the things we have to be grateful for. Those noisy kids running around, the dog, the cat, the family member who always complains, the roof that shelters us, the food on the table. We have no idea what next year will bring, but we have what we have today. And no matter how humble, we have more than we know. Today, just today, let's focus on that. Now, again, I don't have any idea what the next year is going to bring. There are some trends that I see developing that that cause me to think, ooh, you know, the rising gas prices, the supply chain breakdowns, the, the political instability, you know, rumblings of war. Is it going to be Russia? Is it going to be China? I don't know. And really, I don't want to spend all my time focusing on those things like, oh, what's next? Is a bee going to fly through my car window and sting me in the eye while I'm driving? I mean, you'd drive yourself crazy if you're just looking for all the things that could possibly go wrong. But there's just something that's just gnawing at the back of my conscience and and causing me to think. Am I showing enough gratitude for what I have? Not just the things, but the people, the circumstances that I have. And would I feel the same way if, if next year was radically different from this year. See, that used to be kind of an academic exercise. Would you feel the same way if all of the stuff suddenly wasn't there for you? Think about how we felt two years ago. There was uncertainty, but I think we were all pretty well settled. That Yeah, you know, life is what it is, and there are things we can count on. How many things have changed in the last two years that you thought would never be changed like they have, they have changed. Have to wear a mask if you want to travel. Got to show your vaccine ID papers if you want to go here, want to go there. What's that? Australia's rounding people up and putting them in camps? Yeah, some of these changes have been uh, dramatic, to put it mildly. Let's instead focus on what is going right. And it's okay if it's small things, Right? Be grateful for those small victories. Give thanks to God, or if you don't believe in God, give thanks to the universe for being more benevolent than you thought it was. But be grateful. This is The Brian Hyde Show.